and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. everybody welcome back to another episode of the remnant call glad to have you here with us and praise god thank you so much for all the support the prayers that you give in helping out the remnant call um, prayers are what sustains and god is so good and you know whenever i get the emails and people tell me about you know they've listened to the remnant call and and god's touched them through something or, or made a change in their life or they've given their life to the lord or, or whatever you know Folks, that's why we do this. That's why I started the Remnant Call, to reach people, not only just to wake them up, but to make sure that their salvation is secure in Jesus. You don't want to face these last days wondering, uh, am I saved? Am I in the kingdom? We want to go through these last days in confidence, knowing who our Savior is, so that no matter what the devil throws our way, we will be prepared because we understand who is on the throne in our lives. And that starts with a life of surrender. It starts with our lives being surrendered unto the Lord and allowing Him to, to lead. And, you know, just even recently in my own life, um, you know, learning about the Word of God for years and studying and things like that. I've, I'm trying to relearn even over again is how to allow the words of the Bible to actually frame my view of the Bible. We all carry a lot of baggage from the things we were taught. And even though we grow and how we, and we learn and, and we believe that we've, you know, we've changed some thoughts because we lined up more with Scripture, it's surprising sometimes, though, how we allow tradition and things we were taught to still frame the way we even read a simple text and trying to re let God shape the way the Bible actually frames and creates this wonderful picture of who the Lord is from its from the wor words from the Bible, not from, from man or anybody else. And folks, it's a, it's a powerful journey. And I've been in this now for about 20 years since I've been, I gave my life to the Lord, even though I was raised in a church, I, I, I wasn't saved. You know, my story of the drugs and all that stuff, but God has been gracious. And so tonight's message is a very important one. Um, it's not, and you know, something to be lightly taken. You know, it's, it says the, this is the end times. These are the moments that you were warned about if you were in the church as young. Your grandparents, your parents told you about. These are the hours we're now living here. This is what the prophets talked about. This is what Jesus spoke about. This is what the Bible was leading up for those to whom the ends of the earth should come. That words in the book, the holy book of God, were written for us who would live in the last days primarily. So the things that happened to them in the old times would be an example, an example of what we should do now. I think the first thing we ought to do is open with prayer. Father, in the name above every name, Yeshua. Thank you for the blessings that you give us. Thank you for the love that you show us. Thank you for the undeserving kindness that you, you extend to us, Lord, daily when we ask for that forgiveness of sins. Because if we ask that he is faithful and just to forgive us, 
And so, Lord, I pray tonight as I commit this program unto you, that you would speak to our hearts, that, Lord, we would, we would hear the calling of the Master to action in these last days. Lord, whatever you would have us do, I pray that we would do it, because we ask in Yeshua Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Tonight's message, Comfortably Numb. Comfortably Numb. Some of you probably recognize that title from an old Pink Floyd song, um, and that is the title of the message tonight, Comfortably Numb. I, I want to just kind of go back for a moment and, and just remind you, you know, it's, it's how quickly we can forget because, you know, it was not that long ago back in September of 2001. Uh, when the Twin Towers were struck, and I don't care what your theory was, who did it, it doesn't matter. The fact is, every one of us remember where we were, what happened when we first heard that news. And I can remember my very reactions. And I've, I've been in churches, and I've spoken, and I've asked people before, what was the first thought that came to your mind when you, when you remember that the Twin Towers were struck? What was the first thoughts? And many will say fear, you know, or anger, or or, you know, they, they, they were confused, they, you know, all kinds of things. And I can remember my first thoughts of what, when the Twin Towers were struck, I can remember exactly what I thought. My first thoughts were this, Lord, what have I been doing? What have I been doing to advance your kingdom? You know, I was a, still a relatively new believer from conversion uh, in the faith in 1999, near as 2001. But my first thought was, Lord, what have I been doing to spread the good news that Jesus is coming again? What have I been up to? And I remember this extreme burden that came upon me, that I should be doing something to tell people about the coming of Jesus. And I, and I can remember that so vividly, how powerful that was today. And, and I don't know if you any, you know, most of you maybe have. I, I remember I had, um, had read the, had, or had seen the presentations and, and read some about the Harbinger. Uh, Jonathan Conn had wrote about it. Actually, David Wilkerson picked up the, uh, about the first half plus of what Jonathan Conn came out with right after 9-11 when he preached a powerful message. You can still go and get it today. The Towers Have Fallen, I believe, but we didn't get the message or something like that. One of the best sermons you'll ever hear. And he picked up the prophecy from Isaiah 9:10, And, and the, even this was a prophecy of judgment and how, and everything. And, and they even read it from the floor of the U S com, uh, Congress. I think it was Tom delay, I believe read it. And, and they thought it was a, a verse of, of mercy, but or encouragement but it was actually a verse of judgment and, and God fulfilled it to the very T, and it was like I was like shocked that I had never seen such blatant um, biblical fulfillment of prophecy in my life. Something so right there, it was absolutely shocking to me. And I realized that God had sent a warning to the United States of America to wake up. And, and it was interesting how quickly our churches filled up full of people. American flags were out on all the cars. Everybody was patriotic, you know, standing up for American, united, Democrat and Republican. And, you know, people were praying again and all these things. And it wasn't but about six months or so later, the churches started to empty out quickly again. And we forgot the warning that God sent the United States of America. You know, it was a warning sign, and there are still many warning signs. But unfortunately today, the church in America, the church in Europe, the church in Australia, 
They are comfortably numb. And I want to turn tonight to the Word of God to see that this kind of thing comes all the way back from back in Jeremiah's day and even before that. But I want to turn to the book of Jeremiah in chapter 7. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to just open up to Jeremiah and read along with me, Jeremiah chapter 7 and starting in verse 23, this is what the Word of the Lord says. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice. And I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it will be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imaginations of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt. Unto this day I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken to you. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. Now, you can imagine Jeremiah's call, okay? You're a new, fresh, hot preacher, right? Ready to go out and speak the very word of God. You've heard from the Lord, and the Lord says, you're going to drop this word. You're going to warn the people. You're going to tell them what's going on. You know what the time is. And, oh, by the way, Jeremiah, after you deliver that powerful word, guess what? Nobody's going to listen to a single thing that you have to say. By all modern-day measurements of what a successful pastor or preacher or church is, Jeremiah would have been considered an absolute failure. There is not one known convert. Baruch maybe was a convert, but he, had, he was already a scribe. We don't know that he was converted under Jeremiah or not. Other than that, there's not known converts under Jeremiah. So he would be considered a failure, yet over 2,000 years later, we are still proclaiming his words because he was a success. But he was starting his ministry with a promise from the Lord, nobody is going to listen to you. Folks, I don't know about you. But that's got to be devastating, getting ready to start your ministry. And, oh, by the way, you know what? They're not going to listen to you. Sin no longer bothers them. They become comfortably numb, numb to what's going on. They don't want to hear what the God of Israel has to say anymore. The word repentance has become taboo. Jesus in the New Testament warns of the exact same things that, that happened in, back in Jeremiah's day. It'll be like just before the Lord returns. Turn over to Matthew chapter 24 and let's look and see what the word says. Matthew chapter 24 and starting in verse 36, this is what it says. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also be in the coming of the Son of Man. See, it's interesting when you look at this passage. Because what's going on in there is not always necessarily wrong. You know, we eat. We marry and all these things, you know, and that's not enough. Now, if you're eating and drinking and doing all that stuff to excess, that is wrong. That's, that's completely wrong. But the problem was the world was falling apart. Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years, was warning the people, but they went on like nothing was going wrong in their lives. 
The problem is that the people are acting like everything is just okay. This will pass. It will all be all right. Preacher, just preach me another smooth sermon so I can continue coming here and being comfortably numb in my sin and in my way of life. And I can just imagine that Jesus, when warning, it would be as in the days of Noah, that Noah in his day was just wishing and hoping the same thing that probably Jeremiah and every other prophet was, praying that somebody, someone, somewhere would hear those words and would listen and would turn their lives around. You know, Jeremiah, he had a rough life. He started with that promise that, hey, you know, you're going to give a good word, but, uh, you know, they're not going to hear you. But something happens a little bit later on. Jeremiah chapter 42, starting in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. Then all the captains of the forces in Johanan and the son of Korea and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and the people from the least even unto the greatest came near and said unto Jeremiah the prophet, let excuse, Jeremiah the prophet, let we beseech thee, our supplication be accepted before thee, and pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant, for we are left but a few of many, as thine eyes do behold, the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said unto them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back. Now, I could only imagine this. Sometimes taking place, the Lord had said, hey, nobody's going to hear you, but there's always that hope. You know, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He truly cared. And I can only imagine Jeremiah's heart. He must have been filled with full of excitement. He's like, oh my, there's actually a group of people left, maybe a remnant here. that They want to actually hear the very word of the Lord. I could imagine Jeremiah inside was just jumping up and down, shouting for joy because he hears somebody after all this disappointment, after all this spreading of the word that nobody hears, now somebody's coming and wanting to hear. And Jeremiah says, listen, just stand, stay right here. I'm going to go talk to the Lord and, and whatever he says, I'm going to bring it right back to you. Well, let's look and see what happens. Jeremiah chapter 42, starting in verse 9. And said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, unto whom you sent me presents your supplications before him. If you will still abide in this land, then will I build you, and not pull you down, and I will plant you, and not pluck you up. For I repent... For I repent me of the evil that I have done unto you. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom ye are afraid. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And I will show mercies unto you that you may have mercy that, that excuse me, that he may have mercy upon you and cause you to return to your own land. But if you say, We will not dwell in this land, neither obey the voice of the Lord your God, saying, No, but we will go into the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor have hunger of bread, and there will we dwell. And now the therefore 
Hear the word of the Lord, ye remnant of Judah. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if ye wholly set your faces to enter into Egypt and go to sojourn there, then it will come to pass that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and famine thereof ye were afraid shall follow close after you in Egypt, and there ye shall die. So the word of the Lord comes back. Jeremiah comes back and delivers it to the people, right? He comes and tells them what's going on. And in verse in Jeremiah chapter 43, 1 and 2, it says, And it came to pass that when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all these words of the Lord their God, for which the, the Lord their God had sent him unto them, even all these words. So Jeremiah comes back to him, speaks everything, tells him what's going on, thinking, hey, wait a second, this is a great, the Lord says, listen, just go, don't worry about it, I'll take care of you, I'll bring you back out of this land, just just whatever you do, don't go down to Egypt. He comes and gil- delivers them the word, and then verse, in Jeremiah 43, verse 2, it says, Then spake Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, and Jehaniah, Jehaniah, the son of Korea, and the proud men, saying unto Jeremiah, Thou speakest falsely, the Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, go not into Egypt to sojourn there. Wow. Can you believe how Jeremiah felt? He goes to the Lord, pours his heart out. He's excited, I'm sure, because here's some people who are finally wanting to hear a true word from the Lord. He gets a word. It's a great word of encouragement. The Lord's like, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. And he goes back and he tells them, and they say, you know what? You're nothing but a false prophet. They pleaded with him for a pure word, and when they heard it, they called him a false prophet. The man of God, who cried continually for his people, was once again brokenhearted. No matter how many tears Jeremiah poured out, no matter how much he told them the truth, they didn't want to hear it anymore. You see, folks, there's a warning going out in the world today. Folks, there are truly watchmen out there who are crying from the rooftops, prepare you the word of the, the way of the Lord. It's not only just wake up. It's like, hey, it's time to go deep. It's time to get in your prayer closet. It's time to be serious about your walks with God. They're trying to get people to get back, to repent, to get right with the Lord, forsake the old ways and, and, and forsake their current ways and go back to the old paths that Jeremiah talked about. Yet people don't want to hear them. They're comfortably numb. You know, in 1979, Pink Floyd released that famous album called The Wall. The name of the song, Comfortably Numb, it was on there. It was about Roger Waters' experience, Waters' experience when he was injected with tranquilizers for hepatitis by a doctor prior to playing a Pink Floyd show in Philadelphia on the band's 1977 tour for the Animals. He was very sick, and the medicine had so numbed him, the pain that it made him comfortable even though he was terribly sick. You see, the problem is today, there is a sickness in the United States of America. And in many of the churches today, it's called sin. But we've become numb to it. It's like we see the incoming. We see the financial collapse. We see marriages falling apart. We see lukewarmness in our own lives. We see our loved ones dying and going to hell. And we still just sit there and we can't seem to do anything about it. But the good news is God has not given up yet. 
He's not going to leave his people without hope. Yes, there are many that are comfortably numb. And I can tell you right now, if this program is about some you know, warning about just some current word of prophecy or whatever else, it seems like you get a million hits, but I say it over and over again, if it's about going deeper in the Lord, we don't get very many listeners because people only want the current quick hit. They don't want to go deep in their walk with the Lord, and that means you actually got to seek God with all of your heart. But the Lord doesn't give up. He fights until the very end. Psalm 107, I just love this word, starting in verse 11. It says, because they rebelled against the words of God, and oh, if that isn't us, and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their hearts with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. You see, even when God brings his people low because they don't listen, because they become numb to sin, it says that when they cry out, when they fall down on their knees, when they, when they cry out to the Lord that He hears them in their trouble and He comes to save them out of their distress. God is wanting to do that in this hour. You know, we're just really honestly, we're not that far out. We're not even 20 years out of 9-11, which was a clear warning, a shot across the bow to the United States of America. Turn back to me, the Lord was asking. But many, many, the majority, fell away. The churches emptied back out, and people had become numb to sin. You know, closing the night, I want to share something powerful. Because I, I, God, I shared a couple of weeks ago on the message you, you need to hear, a message of encouragement about God doesn't give up. But I wanted to share this, the story of the last survivor the last woman survivor out of 9-11. I think it's one of the ma most amazing stories ever. I remember hearing it live. Or, I, mean, I don't know if it was live, but she was sharing it in the, and I think it was in a Moody church or somewhere. It was on radio. It was being shared years ago. It took me a long time to actually find her testimony. There was a, there was a book about it, I believe, but it was a true story. It was so powerful, and I want to share that with you right now. The last known survivor pulled from the 9-11 Towers. McMillan wanted a change from her home in Trinidad. So she moved to New York in 1998 after her mother's death. She moved back to Trinidad in 1999, but felt pulled back to New York at the end of that year. In order to stay in New York, McMillan knew she had to get a good, steady job. She shouldn't believe, excuse me, she couldn't believe it when she was hired at the World Trade Towers and was excited as she began her first day there on January 19, 2001. She, was, she had made many friends through work, including a live-in boyfriend, Roger, and spent each weekend partying with him. On the morning of September 11th, McMillan didn't feel like going to work. She debated whether to take a vacation day, but since she was planning a trip later, she reluctantly went in. Going to her cubicle on the 64th floor, she dropped off her things and went to the cafeteria on the 44th floor to get breakfast. She returned to her desk and was talking with a friend when suddenly they felt the building shake. They looked at each other and wondered what it was, thinking it may have been an earthquake. They were not given any orders to evacuate, so a TV was turned on, and at 9 a.m. there was a report of a possible terrorist attack. Some people on her floor began to go down the stairwell because the elevators were not working. 
The stairwells were still taped off because they were too congested, and so McMillan and 15 other people waited for more, more news. As smoke began to come through the doors, they decided to rip the tape from the door and evacuated down the stairs. Scared of what was happening, McMillan held tightly to her friend's hand and they descended. McMillan's feet began to hurt as she walked down the flights of stairs in her high heels, but she didn't want to stop and take them off. Reaching the 14th floor, McMillan couldn't take it anymore. She bent over to take off her shoes. Just as she did, there was an explosion and everything went dark. McMillan lost her grip on her friend's hand. She laid still, sure she was going to die, as she felt debris falling all around her. The noise got louder and louder, and it felt like hours had passed before it finally stopped. Then when it finally did, McMillan tried to move, but found that her head was pinned between two cement pillars. She couldn't move her legs, her right hand, so she... So with her left hand, she brushed the dust from her eyes and her mouth, and she began to feel around and noticed something soft underneath her. She determined that she was on top of a body, and because something hard was poking her side, she used the body as a cushion to get more comfortable. For the next 27 hours, McMillan remained conscious. But fell in and out of sleep. She thought a lot about her life, her mother, her death. She knew she would probably die, but she began to cry out to God, begging for a second chance. She had never really prayed before, but the more she did, the more she felt her faith in God growing. I just wanted a second chance at life, McMillan said. I wanted to be with my family. I knew my life was going to change as I prayed for a miracle. I realized that I was still breathing, and I knew that God had a plan for my life. I knew he was going to answer my prayer. As she prayed, McMillan began to hear rubble above her being removed. She heard the sound of trucks and people's voices. She called out, is anyone there? There was no answer. She called out again, and a voice answered back. The voice asked her, her her name, where she worked, and what floor she was on last. She answered, but knew she was didn't have enough strength to keep talking. McMillan then stuck her hand out in the air and asked if he could see her hand. He couldn't, but she kept it stretched out and called out to God, Why me? At that moment, she felt someone grasp her hand. I'm here, said the voice. You're going to be okay. I'm not going to let you go. She asked his name, and he told her his name was Paul, and that he was going, not going to leave her until she was rescued. Finally, another rescuer found her other hand, and they moved the rubble, pulled McMillan from it, and placed her on a stretcher. As she was on the stretcher, she opened her eyes and could see the sunlight. She could see Paul's face now, and he was still holding her hand. She was rushed to the hospital while Roger met her. She asked him to find out more about Paul, so when she was out... Out of the hospital, she could thank him. Many people were asked about Paul, but no one by that name was ever on the rescue team. A search went out, but there was no Paul ever found. God had sent an angel to comfort that dear woman. You see, folks, sometimes we feel like we're trapped in the middle of the falling twin towers. And there's no hope out. There's nothing we can do. We can't get free. We're stuck. We're trapped. But it's that moment that we realize I'm at the bottom and I can't do anything that we begin to cry that God says, you know what? I'm coming to get you. Tonight or today or whenever you hear this message, I don't care where you're at. I don't care how bad it is right now. I don't care what you're trapped in, the stress that you're going through, the news you've heard from the doctor. If you will cry out to God and lift your hands up to him, he will hold you unto the very end. She didn't deserve salvation, 
neither do any of us. And yet God was there to comfort her. What do you think he's going to do when he sees his children crying? The same thing you do when you see your children crying. The only difference is his heart is pure. And he's much more forgiving than we've ever been towards anybody else. Won't you call on him? Won't you ask God to forgive you? And understand that with this hour that we're in, that yes, we may have grown comfortably now, but it doesn't have to be that way. God can make a change. Why don't you let this moment, from this point, be the change in your life? Let's pray. Father, in the name above every name, Yeshua Jesus, I ask that you would bless anyone hearing this message to know that no matter how bad it's been, no matter how, uh, how much of a struggle that they're going through, no matter how much they think that they can get out of the bondage, that if they would cry out to their God, if they would surrender it to, to him, that he will come running like he always has. Even to those people in Babylon who, who, who were blatantly not listening, God still was trying to reach them with a comforting word. Lord, I pray that you would help us. I would pray that you would help us to seek you and to know and to trust that the Lord is on our side. I ask this all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. This is Brother Frank on the Remnant Call, saying to everybody, good night and shalom. Trumpet in Zion, down the middle of the mountain. Lord, trumpet in Zion, for the day of the Lord is come. Lord, trumpet in Zion.